This is the Magellan Journal, a podcast series here to help you navigate EU opportunities. We remove the noise around current EU issues on different topics such as transport and environment, each time through the perspective of a different expert. Today we speak to Arthur Perschel, Deputy Director of the European Department at the International Association of Public Transport, also known as UITP, about the public transport sector, how it has been hit by COVID-19 and the immediate actions that have been done in the last couple of months. Hi, good morning, Arthur, and thank you for accepting to do this podcast with us. Could you briefly present yourself, the UITP's mission in general, and your role in UITP? Sure. Uh, hi, good morning, Andrea, and thank you very much for, for having me. Well, first of all, you know, UITP is a uh, international association of public transport. Uh, we are the international organization working in the field of sustainable local mobility. I think it's uh, it's worth mentioning that it's only worldwide network, you know, to to bring together all public transport stakeholders, such as operators, authorities, you know, the industry and the research centers, among others, as well as we bring together, of course, all sustainable transportation modes, such as rail, metro, tram, light rail, bus, trolley bus, and even water waterboard. Our vision is a fundamentally to um, enhance the quality of life and economic prosperity, I would say, of, of local communities by, you know, simply supporting and promoting uh, sustainable transport in urban areas across the globe. We want to, to make a visible and impactful difference for both for our members, but also for the, for the wider sustainable transport ecosystem. And, you know, very briefly myself, in the, in the capacity of being a deputy director, I work for the Europe Department. So the Europe, the Europe Department of UITP is, is a team of experts based in, in Brussels headquarters. And the department is mainly in charge of both uh, monitoring EU affairs and legislation, as well as of a, all lobby, lobbying operations towards uh, the European institutions. Basically, as a deputy director, my role is to, to support the daily management, also you know, staff coordination and, and strategy of the department. Also coordinate some of the projects and, and activities and try to integrate better well, our department within the mainstream UITP. And finally, I also happen to, to lead on all activities related to EU funds and financing, something which is very close to hearts of, of majority, if not all our members. Thank you for the brief introduction. So my, one of my first questions is about the current crisis. And during the corona crisis, the public transport sector has been considered a high-risk environment because of confined space and touching services. How has the sector dealt with the crisis over the past three months? What actions have been implemented that you can tell us about? Mm. Well, to, to kick off on this one, I want to definitely, first of all, emphasize that, you know, the sector has been critical in, in ensuring that you know, cities were up and running throughout the crisis. We as a sector took care of you know, basic continuity of uh, crucial mobility services across European cities and localities, especially for you know, so many frontline workers, uh, including, of course, healthcare workers, many of which, uh, depending on you know, well-functioning local transit networks, so you know, on the same note, I would, I would argue that public transport operators and authorities have uh, very swiftly you know, put in place a set of preventive measures and 
were cooperating and sharing all the data with the authorities to optimize the production of, of our stuff, also of all the passengers, and, and to keep the very transit systems running. But uh, as you rightly pointed out, you know, it's, it's of course difficult to neglect the fact that the local public transport sector has been impacted in an unprecedented way by the COVID-19 crisis. Our whole ecosystem was, was very heavily affected by the crisis in many ways, actually, and of course, including financially with a severe meltdown of, of this Furbox revenue. You know, as in some cities, the, the reduction in ridership reached a landmark, you know, 90, 90% drop, which is, which is very dramatic. So, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's evident that receiving not more than 10% of the ticket income while maintaining up to, you know, 80 to 100% of the service has not been financially sustainable. And on the top of that, you know, uh, we have had all the, all the additional costs needed to disinfect the, the vehicles and implement social distancing measures, both in vehicles and across infrastructures. So at the point, you know, this meant fighting to, to maintain the continuity of our services, fight, fighting for, for survival. And also, you know, we had to often adopt the level of services, so to adopt the routes, the frequencies, capacity, according to the general reduction of, of travel demand, especially in correlation with, with the business procedures and also with the decisions taken by, by the local, regional and national authorities. Mm -hmm. So, you know, mid to long term impact of COVID on ridership levels is still a, a major threat for us. And I think, you know, Europe-wide, the Fairbox revenue losses are around, you know, 40 billion euros by the end of 2020 or something of, of that order. So we are now seeing us being confronted with, with some form of the, the permanence of the crisis. And we will have to deal with it in the coming months, if, if not years. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, UITV has published also a series of open letters to the European institutions calling for support to public transport in the times that lie ahead. And I'll quote this one. Public transport is and will be a key sector for both the economic recovery and the achievement of the Green Deal objectives. The European Green Deal remains Europe's most important sustainable growth strategy. So in order to achieve this, how can we rebuild trust in public transport in the post-COVID-19 period and ultimately to come out of the other side stronger? Mm. Well, thank you very much for this. This is definitely a critical question. So you know, let, let me start by saying that the sector is also you know, expecting the new normal. And um, I would argue that you know, there are clearly uh, emerging uh, a new activity models and even a new mobility paradigms. So as, as more people are teleworking and therefore, you know, the less trips are being made. Also, people you know, will start to invest more in, in electric cars and there will be surge in cycling and green soft modes as it happens from, you know, uh, Bogota to, to Paris. And we as a sector, we have to get ready to be part of this, you know, broader paradigm shift and, and the green mobility transition. So now what's, what's critical and to move to the essence of your question, I think, you know, what's critical is scaling up the very ridership and ensuring indeed the trust in public transport services. And, you know, as the crisis has affected the entire economic uh, system, you know, it's, it's crucial now to, that the governments, you know, invest in, in recovery programs where public transport is being featured, especially at the, at the EU level. 
moreover, you know, we we've learned that it's it's a perfect moment to you know to kick off innovation, uh, to harness big data and all the cashless transactions and IT prioritization for public transport modes on our streets. You know, it's also there are many techniques and tactics and strategies to to spread out the the peak hours and better manage the demand in public transport networks. But you are right. I mean, yet it's, I would say, it's critical for trust rebuilding is in equal terms, awareness rising campaigns and the whole communication side, both towards the passengers, but also towards the political stakeholders. This is also where, what we've been saying in, in our open letters and the one you, you, you just quoted. I mean, firstly, you know, the communication with passengers uh, is critical and will be critical, you know, to instruct them, I would say, how to use public transport safely and why public transport is so important for the, for the well-being of their communities. As you remember, you know, around 75% of all Europeans are living in urban areas. So, you know, a model shift towards public transport, it's still needed. And because it means simply, you know, reducing CO2 emissions, uh, fighting climate change, you know, it means also safer mobility, more local jobs, cleaner, and so forth. Mm. So therefore, you know, public transit is and will be, a, I would argue, a natural ally for all the you know, policymakers to reach their policy goals and also to passengers to make sure that their livelihoods across cities are, 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 are well. But speaking about policy and politicians, just a, just a final thought, you know, Communication with stakeholders, with the, with decision makers, especially at the European level, is critical. So, so at the European level, we would definitely argue that a strong push for the return to sustainable transport should be invested heavily to counterbalance this uh, individual motorized traffic, and especially all its uh, negative externalities such as you know safety, health, space, environment, economic damage. So all these negative externalities should be vocally reminded to all those who forgot about public transport and how critical it is for the, for the communities, but also for the for cities to have them, you know, up and running. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You mentioned also before the, the spreading of peak hours, and that's a, a very obvious question that we have there. We have the imposed social distancing of one and a half minimum, minimum, meter minimum over the past few months. And we have limits to people in closed spaces like supermarkets and shops. So how can public transport, for example, ensure this social distancing when we think of full metro carriages in, in the morning rush? The people are still having the same working hours, uh, nine to five, most of them, when, when the metros uh, are busy. So in the long run, when people maybe start teleworking a little bit less, how can we avoid these overcrowded metro carriages? Sure. I mean, it's a, it's a very pertinent question, and thanks a, a lot for that because you know everybody's asking us <laughs> about how to how to you know uh, make sure this 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 works well. Well, I would I would say that you know it's this the density that the tube or tram wagons full of people and you know, everybody would would say that it's an ideal environment for the virus to to spread. But, you know, I mean, we've been also gathering a huge amount of data from our networks, from Japan to France and beyond. And, you know, we've been receiving fairly optimistic information, if not all of the, you know, the positive information or data. 
saying that you know in the last weeks there were no clusters of outbreaks uh, of the coronavirus across major urban transportation networks. In uh, in other words, you know the the most clusters like in most of the European countries, if not all of the virus outbreaks you will see you know in, in hospitals and all, all the medical institutions like the elderly houses and so forth but there is no like evidence that the public transport can be part of this cluster of outbreaks so i think why this is so i think because you know there are strict uh, strict safety measures and luckily for us i mean there is a most of the people are very comfortable with meeting the the safety requirements, wearing masks and so forth. You know, in a lot of European cities from, you know, Romania, Poland to Portugal and, and Italy, the wearing of face masks was very quickly adopted by people. In other networks like uh, across uh, Asia Pacific, you know, Hong Kong, Japan, or even Taipei, you know, remember that masks have been always a part of the public transport landscape so people are very familiar with wearing them even pre-covid also in in a lot of european cities especially and and beyond you know there is a area around the the bus drivers or tram drivers which is a no-go zone so also embarking boarding the, the public transport modes happens from the the very end of the of the vehicle so i think it's uh it's well very well thought and we are very proud that you know the that the transport system is not that much has not that much been affected but you know generally speaking you know the congestion the congesting the the peak hours and manage the, the whole travel demand uh it's is of is of help also you know install install the permanent flexible working schemes such as you know teleworking and therefore, you know, increased capacity of, of, of public transport, increased capacity of cycling lanes. And particularly, I was arguing, you know, to, to sum up that, you know, we, after the crisis, we would need to see more increased capacity of public transport and more public transport offer. And that is also why we need massive financial support for public transport. Finally, we, as we seek, I would say, to rebuild our cities and connections with, with each other as, as people, as human beings, you know, public transport still remains one of the, the best, smartest investments we can make. And, and so I would you know, conclude by saying that you know, post-lockdown, once more, we, we need much more mass transit services as before, as it seems to me, you know, in the light of, of what's been said earlier, nothing more, nothing more than logic. Also, besides public transport, in the past few years, we saw a huge rise in, in share mobility, including carpooling, bike sharing, car sharing, and, and so on. Also, all of these services include human touch and might be considered high risk now, and people might be a little bit more reluctant to use them. Can you maybe give a few thoughts on how will this sector of shared mobility recover from the current situation? Right. So, first of all, you know, I would say that. COVID indeed has been a uh, fundamental game changer for us uh, as a sector, but also ways in which we provide mobility, uh, ways in which we organize mobility in our cities, and also ways in which we define what public transport means, how it is defined at its core. And, uh, and you're right, I mean, therefore, you know, 
now a, a slightly more complex picture is starting to emerge where COVID has redefined public transport and even accelerated the ongoing transition from regular public transport to, to multimodality, which will from now on be, be the focus. So not only the traditional modes, but also thinking about the first mile and the last mile and how the total user or passenger experience is being shaped by the available mobility options. So if public transport is at the heart, you know, is the backbone of sustainable mobility, then the, the new mobility players, as you mentioned, the, the active mobility, the shared mobility, the informal mobility even, can and will fit well to, to complement mass transit services and optimally you know, serve the passenger. We are seeing now a, a huge surge in, in city bicycle schemes, for example. You know, France has already announced very recently, I believe in around May, this package of around 20 million euros to, to encourage cycling. So Paris is, has recently announced that they will build no less than 650 kilometers of, of this new cycling infrastructure in the framework of, of a program Rousseau Express Regional Vélo. Uh, mm. The same happens in, for example, in London when you see there, there is a, you have a new big bicycle lanes along major tube and bus lines corridors. So and some of them, if, if not many, will become permanent. You know, in, in the Netherlands, traditionally more than half of the commuters arrive at stations by bikes. But also, you know, in our neighborhood in Belgium, we are both based in Belgium, you know, smaller cities like mine here in Leuven or uh, Flemish city of uh, Tomera, they are transforming you know, the whole city centers into huge cycling zones with, with bikes becoming a priority mo uh, modes of travel. So on the short distances, of course, but, but so, you know, so I'm fairly optimistic about the, the new mobility players, but still, you know, public transport cannot stand at, at the same line as, as soft modes, you know, cycling lanes are great, but they are not enough. We need, I would argue, capacity and this can be guaranteed only by, by regular public transport services. Like you said, we, we saw a huge rise in, in bike riding and also a lot of people started walking instead of using public transport mm. lately. Do you think that because for a while with the car sharing and everything, people have slowly started abandoning the idea of car ownership. Do you think that now with, with the current crisis and people wanting to you know, not use public transport or share cars just to use their own car, we are kind of slowly going back to zero in this way or starting from zero in terms of mobility as a service and these concepts? How can we then avoid in the future an overfall of cars and traffic jams once more mobility is allowed in, in cities? after the confinement period, for example? I mean, that's a very complex one, and I will, I will tackle with it in, in a bit more detail, if you, if you allow. I mean, it's a fundamental thing to understand the, what's happening now in the, in the mobility eco, ecosystem is, you know, try to link the quality of public transport, so the quality of, of collective urban mobility modes, are so much correlated with the quality of life. And it's not about, you know, the, the, the air quality. It's, it's, it's about the congestion, the social cohesion, the economic activity. So the better public transport, the higher quality, quality of life. So I think it's, it's fundamental to, to start with this one. 
And once more, you know, the more public transport, the more cars, the ride hailing, the more bicycles, the more walking on the streets. I would argue in the long term, the city is fundamentally cheaper, cheaper to, to operate. If it's cheaper to operate, it means it can save more money. Therefore, theoretically, you can spend more on education, on the environment, on healthcare, and other communal service. And that's why, you know, in, in UITP's point of view, also this you know, recovery and the resilience plans now for urban transit are, are definitely critical. And I would definitely, you know, come out to all the stakeholders and policymakers by saying, you know, putting again hundreds of thousands of cars in our streets will see the social and budgetary, local budgetary costs skyrocketing. So that, that should be clear from the very start. And, you know, now there is, an, there is a big responsibility in, at the end of, of transport authorities to reduce the attractiveness of private car use so that, you know, the, the mm -hmm. youngsters, when they are getting 18, they won't have uh, to wish for a car to, as a present for their birthday. You know, it's, it's very important to, to reduce the attractiveness of, of uh, individuals' motorized traffic. And at the same time, you know, it's key to enhance the accessibility and quality of public transport. And I think by doing so, we can sustain this paradigm shift, this you know, higher model share of public transport across so many of, of our cities, both in Europe and beyond. So, you know, but also you know, looking from the economic perspective, both global economy and, and the communities have a great interest in ensuring that we don't take a step backwards and decongestion, decarbonizing our cities. You know, around the world, the investments in, in new forms of collective transportations have been so successful and uh, in equal terms, you know, dramatically reduce the congestion and volumes of vehicles on the road. And I'm very much convinced definitely that people won't give up on that so, uh, so easy. But, you know, speaking about the post-lockdown, I think we, we need to go back to better mobility, to, to build better cities and better lives. And also the very recent UITP campaign, Build Back Better is, is all about this. And, you know, finally, I think, you know, I think one of our top arguments, which is, I believe, very difficult to argue with, is, is that climate change will now permanently say hi on the political agenda. And as you may know, this European Green Deal remains uh, Europe's you know, main sustainable growth strategy. And I think public transport, our sector is naturally a natural ally of, of this transformation. Mm -hmm. So it is essential to have a strong public transport sector in order to reach not only European climate targets, but strategic policy objectives. So in other words, I would say the objectives of the Green Deal will, will never be met if the EU does not push for more and green public transport. And the same counts for, for the national level, member states level. So let me just sum up by, by saying the following. I think, you know, public transport is, is essential for cities. And I think we've been seeing that it's essential for reducing the traffic congestions, which, you know, it's around 100 billion euro per year, according to the latest European Commission estimates. We also, as a sector, contribute so much to the, to the European economy. It's between 130 to 100 billion euro per year. 
And finally, I think what's important for a lot of people right now with the unemployment surging, you know, public transport also creates local jobs. And I want to highlight it very, very strongly. The public transport sector is definitely amongst the largest employers at the local level. And within the EU, we employ around 2 million people. I would say uh, this is of, of flagship importance. Now, let me conclude with, uh, with this brief sort of critical reflection. I would argue that the COVID-19 pandemic has uh, definitely demonstrated that urban public transport is a common good we all, we all have, to, have to preserve. And I believe now what crisis has learned us is we have one and only chance to, as I mentioned earlier, to build back better, bringing cities literally back to people. And here is where public transport enters as you know, being a fundamental to building you know, resilient cities to, to fight in climate change, to even to encourage the, the healthy, active uh, lifestyle choices, you know. Uh, and on the top of this, as I mentioned also earlier, to, to boost local economies. Because, you know, we as a, as a sector, we, we try, and I'm sure we, we succeed in it, not to leave anyone behind and no place behind. So we are well positioned to deliver for the, for the future recovery of both Europe and, and the world. That will be it, I guess. Well, thank you very much for this interesting conversation and for giving us a bit more insight about uh, public transport in these times. Thank you again for joining us in this podcast and uh, I wish you a very nice day. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. If you like this podcast and want to know more about Magellan, check out our website at www.magellan-association.org.